You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we got another banger episode for you guys today. Uh, Today's guest, we're going to be talking with Andy May. Now, if you're new to hunting podcasts, especially whitetail-focused, this guy is a wealth of knowledge, not only from the hunting strategy side, but like today's episode, we're going to be talking about the gear that he uses, how he makes decisions on gear. Uh, We get into a couple brand-specific items. We talk about bows. We talk about boots, socks. We talk about clothing. We talk about accessories for your bow uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So it's a really good episode. It's uh, full of, I guess, insight on how a big buck killer makes gear selection or or purchases uh, that, you know, And a lot of it has to do with uh, what makes him confident, as you will hear in this episode. But before we get into today's episode, the the Hunting Gear podcast has a new partner, and that is The Average Conservationist. Now, The Average Conservationist is uh, an apparel company, right? And they have hoodies and they have hats with some badass logos on them but the kicker here is is that they give 10 percent of all their earnings to conservation efforts like the national deer association uh, and other um, conservation efforts so that's it's just an awesome company i know the owner marcus he also has the podcast here on the sportsman's nation network called the average conservationist in partnership with the two percent for conservation brand uh, and organization. So first off, go to theaverageconservationist.com. Check out their line of apparel. Also check out the Average Conservationist podcast. Lots of great information there about conservation as well. Um, I think that's going to do it, guys. Let's uh, quit talking and get into today's, I guess we'll call it a gear BS session with my buddy Andy May. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Andy May, how are we doing, my friend? I'm good, Dan. How are you, buddy? Hey, I tell you what, I'm I'm ready to go groundhog hunting. Uh, <laughs> this uh, Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil came out a couple days ago, and he's like, hey, man, uh, looks like we're going to have more winter. And it is snowing again in Iowa. Uh, 
like blizzard condition, six inches of snow type deal. And just last week we got eight to 10 inches of snow. And two weeks before that we had like another six inches of snow. So I went out and I went and uh, checked trail cameras yesterday or, or went in to take one down and I was high knee in it through about, Oh, 12 inches of snow trying to get to, uh, one of my trail cameras. And man, I just don't think the deer there, it might be a rough winter around here for the whitetails. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's interesting. Like sometimes I think you guys get more snow than we do and we're further North than you, but it looks like some of that weather's coming this way too. And, and I, I, I'm the same way. When I see that deep snow and the temperatures we're about to get, I feel bad for the wildlife, man. Yeah. I mean, they really do struggle. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't, hopefully it doesn't last as long as, uh, the groundhog predicted. <laughs> right. That's a fact. Well, yeah. how'd your season go this year, man? Um, it was good. It was, um, from, from a standpoint of the successes I had, it went really good. Um, I definitely, I uh, can't complain there. Um, aside from those few hunts, uh, um, you know, I struggled a little bit. I really did. Um, I talked about this on, on another podcast, but I, I had, I, I killed four great animals. I'm super proud. Um, you know, awesome, awesome hunts that I'll, you know, remember forever. But aside from those four hunts and maybe a couple other ones, I, I really kind of struggled. I really had trouble. Uh, I, I didn't feel like I was quite on top of my game. I was having trouble locating good deer, um, in my home state. Um, even in Ohio, um, was having trouble getting on a, on a buck that I was trying to trying to kill. And, um, I don't know. It was just, it was just one of those seasons where I felt like I was getting my butt kicked, getting my butt kicked and then boom, I'd have a great hunt. So, um, like I said, I can't complain, but there's definitely some things that I wish would have went my way a little differently. Um, there could have been some other successes, but you know, that's how, that's how hunting goes, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why we, uh, that's why we love it. It's, sometimes it's, it's hard and doesn't go our way. Yeah. And I think that might be one of my favorite parts about the, the chess match, right. That we call it is, is the, just like 10 days in a row of straight crap hunts, right? Nothing's moving. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're in it. And then you seal the deal and then your season's over or whatever. And, uh, I, I don't know. It's just like this almost, it's almost like a punch to the face. It just wakes you up and you're like, Oh my God, that, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have a season like that too, I mean, it can, it can, uh, I mean, whether you get the kill or not, it can humble you, you know, you start oh, yeah. to feel a little confident and you're having some consistent success and it feels like you're making the right decision and the right move. And you build this sense of confidence, which I think is good. And then a season like this happens and it just kind of brings you back to, you know, this is hunting and these are, these are tough animals to get on. And, uh, there's a lot to learn still. And, um, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of always been my motto is just uh, to keep learning and keep that that mindset where, you know, I'm always trying to improve, always trying to learn um, and never feel like I have it figured out. Yeah. Um, so this this year just uh, solidified that I'm I'm pretty motivated going into next year to work on a few things and, and try to, you know, try to come out a, a better hunter. Yeah. So what's on the docket for uh, 2021 for you? Well, um, there's a few things that are kind of up in the air, but as of right now, um, definitely 
going to be doing an elk hunt next year. As long as my partner, um, he, he actually contracted COVID last March. Um, and obviously he, he, you know, he got through it, but he has some long lasting effects from it. Um, he's kind of, he's slowly getting back to normal. So I'm hoping, you know, he's back close to hundred percent. If that's the case, we're definitely going elk hunting, but, um, he's had some pretty scary setbacks. Um, so hopefully elk hunting, um, I will be most likely going back to Nebraska I'm really thinking hard about trying to uh, uh, trying Kansas this year. I've never hunted Kansas. I've yeah. always wanted to. Um, I, I want to try some new areas this year, just kind of, you know, just keep that. Um, I don't know that I, I like that new challenge. And sometimes you can get in a rut and go back to the same old spots and those same areas where you've always had success. And I like to, I don't know, I I, I stay more stimulated when I'm, I got new uh, challenges in front of me. Yeah. Um, then I'll do the normal Michigan, Ohio. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there might be a state or two thrown in there or some of those might get juggled around a little bit, but that's, that's the tentative plan. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like you're, I'm, I'm trying to hit the elk woods this year too in Wyoming. I'm definitely going back to South Dakota. Um, and I, I don't think this year I'm going to do it, but Kansas, I really want to get to Kansas just because my uncle lives down there and, uh, oh, nice. and he has some access to some pretty good ground there that I'd probably just try to sweet talk my way, my way into. But, uh, yeah, 2020 sounds like it could be a good year for a lot of people, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, this year, um, you know, I'm, I guess I'm kind of, you know, people that have listened to me talk, they know that I don't actually get a lot of time hunting. I spent a ton of time scouting and uh, not a lot of time hunting, but this year was quite a bit different with uh, the COVID thing happening. Uh, My work was uh, majorly affected and I had more time off and more time to, to do, uh, you know, the hunting thing than I, than I have since before my daughter was born. So I actually hunted more this year than I have in, in many many years so it was kind of cool um next year i anticipate things will be back to normal it'll be a little tighter schedule but you know that's what i'm used to yeah absolutely all right so today we're going to talk about gear right and everybody kind of knows andy may as this guy who goes out he locates big deer and he gets the job done all right but what what a lot of people don't talk about is you know they talk about the strategy and all this stuff but we don't really talk about the gear that these people use that makes them successful or assists in making them successful i don't want to say gear is the is the uh magic bean so to speak but um just kind of a right out of the gate high level question for you when when you're looking for gear you know, and you can use examples if you want, when you're looking for gear, uh, that you're going to use in the woods, you know, whether it's out West in Nebraska or, you know, in the tree stand in, in Michigan, um, what kind of categories or, or, um, curriculum or, or I don't know the, really the word that I'm looking for, but what do you look for when, when making the decision on what piece of gear to buy? Uh, well, for the most part, um, if I'm looking to try out some new stuff, I, I'm looking for stuff that kind of fits my style of hunting. And I, I mean, I always tell people I don't really have a style, but really, um, I think if I 
if I try to be specific on, on what my style is, as far as like describing it, I need, I need something that helps me be more mobile. Um, that's always high on my priority list. I like to be, I like to feel light and fast. And I know that's kind of sounds weird, but I, I, I like my gear to be light, uh, low bulk, and I like to feel fast in the woods if I need to be. And, and, and I kind of lump everything into the same as far as like whitetail, antelope, mule deer, whatever. I, I kind of have that same mentality because I am just as likely to sit all day in a rut funnel for 13 hours. Uh, I'm just as likely to get down and try to spot and stalk a whitetail in his bed or still hunt through a big block of timber. Um, I, I, I have a, I guess, a um, a wide range of tactics that I like to employ depending on the situation in front of me or just depending on what I feel like doing at that moment. Yeah. So, uh, I, I look for, you know, things that help me be more mobile. Um, like I said, light, fast, things that are quiet. Um, so if, if I see a product out there that I think might be able to help me improve in some of those key areas, I will take a look at it. Other than that, um, I mean, I think all hunters to a certain extent, I mean, we all love gear, right? I mean, we're just, we're kind of gear guys. Some guys I think can get really carried away with it um, and focus so much on gear that they lose focus on um, maybe improving your skills as a hunter, which I think, which I think will increase your success in the field far more than any piece of gear will. Right. Um, so I, I think some guys can get carried away. I, I, I mean, just, you know, I have a pretty large circle of friends in hunting now. Um, of course, but even, even some of those guys, and even I've gotten caught up in it in the past, it's like all they talk about is gear and even like tactic talk or, or trying to learn, um, you know, there's less and less of that and more on gear and, and buying gear and, and, and getting new stuff and less on the tactics or, or talking about the details of a hunt where you can really pull out some information and learn from it. But, but I guess to, you know, to circle back, I guess, you know, if, if there's something that comes out that catches my eye, it's usually because I think it will make me more mobile, lighter, faster, something that's more quiet. Um, and, you know, maybe just something that might give me a little more confidence, you know, overall, yeah. but I, I think that would best, I guess that's the best way for me to answer that question. All right. So light and fast, right? I'm looking out yep. uh, light, fast, low, low bulk, low profile. I'm looking out the window right now and it is blizzard conditions. And as we all know, sometimes we're hunting deer uh, in November during the rut or, or whenever in some pretty cold temps. How do you fix that problem because sometimes um staying warm and being fast are Mm -hmm. two (laughs) two two things that are hard to accomplish at the same time right yeah exactly so it it depends on the weather but i'm gonna say let's let's i'll give an example of my iowa hunt this year um where it was the first time i went down there it actually dipped down into the high 20s. My second time down there, it was the lows were in the 40s and then got up into the 70s. Yeah. Um, what I started doing, um, it's been probably three or four years now, is I, and I learned this from hunting out west, 
I started packing my insulation, um, it, you know, in the form of like puffy layers. Yep. So I stay away from the bulkier outer layer now for as long as possible. I'm now in the conditions you're talking about that I was in right now, you know, I, I, there's no way around it really, unless you're on the move, unless you're hunting active, then you can still do this. But if you're going to go to a stand and sit, you need that, you need that outer layer that's super warm and super protective. And then also good layering underneath that. But, you know, for the bulk of the season, um, you know, early season, you don't have to worry about it for, but for the bulk of that middle season, for me, I'm, I'm pretty tolerant to cold temperatures. I don't get that cold. Um, but what I've been doing is I've, have been wearing a lighter outer layer that is to me light and fast. And then when I get to my tree, if it's going to dip down, I will put on, um, I will pack the insulation, uh, in my pack or something, something highly compressible, like a puffy. And then I'll put that on under that layer. If I think I need it, I almost never need it in my legs. My legs just do not get tired or I'm sorry. You do not get cold. But my upper body does. Yeah. Um, so I usually just pack the upper. But if it is going to get, say, dip down into the teens, um, then I'll pack the lower too. And and I will put those on right at the base of the tree. But um, a lot of times I end up not even using those or just using the upper part. But that's what I started doing years ago. Because what I find is, like, there's some awesome whitetail garments, um, some that I own. And I do love them for stationary hunting in really cold weather. You know, if you get down to those thirties and twenties, but man, they're heavy. Um, you know, they're a lot of times they're like heavy bibs, insulated bibs, yep. um, or like a, like a kind of a heavier park. There's just so much weight and mass to it. I don't like it. Um, so I wear an actually a pretty thin shell, um, like a, like a soft shell, almost outer layer. And I just buy it a little roomier than normal. Um, and then I pack that pack that insulation in and then I'll put that on in the tree if needed. But it's, it's light enough where I can, I feel nimble. Um, like I feel like I'm nimble enough to like put a stalk on a deer and not be detected. Some of this, some of this warmer cold weather gear, I mean, you're so bulky. It'd be really hard for me personally to to pull something like that off. But I like to stay, like I said, light and fast, but I will pack that insulation in now. So that's kind of how, again, it's just kind of related. It goes back to what I talked about is my style. Um, that just fits my style more. And then I can like, I can lose the insulation if I need it. Like in Iowa, the day I killed my buck, um, I think it was 40. It was, it was pretty warm in the morning for that time of year. It was, it was early November. Um, I think it was November. What was it? Fourth. That's a couple days Uh, before I shot mine. Yeah. It might've been the sixth. Oh, it was the sixth. And then, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was cool. It was cool in the morning, Yeah, but it was one of those days where it was going to get up to like 70. Yeah. Um, so I wore, uh, nothing, uh, into the tree. I just wore my outer layer on kind of unzipped, vented a little bit. I got to the tree. I threw on my puffy under that. Um, I ended up shooting the deer fairly early, but then I, you know, I sat up there for a while. It started warming up. I'd shedded that puffy layer, stuffed it in my pack. And I mean, I could have sat there all day, um, you know, just with that. So if I would have wore that, you know, something that I normally would wear in like 30 or forties, I probably would have got a little sweated up going in. And I, I don't know. I just try to avoid that. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of what I've gravitated to. Yeah. I'll have to agree. I've learned over the last handful of years that 
the puffy jacket is the way to go for even if you're a whitetail guy who's just sitting there, um, I would rather have my insulation be really compact and I can stuff it in my bag and it takes up hardly any room. And then I throw something, I don't know, something, not necessarily any wind blocker in it, but something that is going to, like a, a brown, like I, this year I used a, a sweater. I didn't even mm-hmm. use a, a zip up jacket. I, I had my Merino base layer. I had my puffy jacket and then I had my, um, my sweater that I threw over top of that. And that man, that worked from, I would say 25 degrees all the way up until, you know, and obviously the warmer it gets, the less you have, you don't even need your puffy jacket, but what about your feet? How do you handle, uh, your feet and your boots and your socks or, or a combination of both? Yeah, again, it depends on the year and what the activity, you know, how much activity I'm going to be doing on the actual hunt. Like um, when I'm whitetail hunting, most of the time I'm wearing rubber boots, most of the time. Um, If I'm going to be, if I'm hunting maybe where I have to walk, I say a mile or less, I'm good with wearing my rubber boots. Um, If it's going to be something a little more than that, or maybe something in more hill country type terrain, or I might be on my feet all day. Um, I'm going to go with more of like a hiker boot, like something like a, like a crispy, you know, a crispy Thor, or, uh, I have a, a boot made by a company called Salewa. I can't remember the, um, I can't remember the actual name, but I just love those boots. They're super comfortable. Um, but if I'm going to be like, you know, still hunting spot and stalk, I'm going with something like that, that has a lower footprint, a smaller footprint, it's a little quieter moving through the cover and whatnot, but um, most of the time with whitetail, just for the added, a little bit added uh, scent control on like the ground scent of like where I walk, and I just have a little more confidence with the rubber boot. And a lot of times I'm crossing like a creek or a river or some swampy areas and stuff, so it, it just makes it a little easier there. But um, as far as that, that's, uh, those are the basically the two options I go with. And obviously, if it gets colder, I'll I'll go to a, a warmer boot, or or sometimes I'll use those those boot warmers, like the overboot thing, uh, if it gets really really cold. But that's that's kind of my my go to. I, I use both. So yeah. It just depends on how my hunt is going to go, what the access is like, and what the activity level is going to be like. Yeah, I've pretty much went solely. Now, like you said, unless I know my access route is going to lead me through some wet conditions like a a creek crossing or a swamp of some sort, then I might throw the rubber boots on. But majority, I want to say 90% of the time, I'm not using those anymore. I'm using those Arctic Shield boot covers. I stuff those in my pack and take them with me. And man, I have, I've, I've had one day where I sat quite a long uh, while and I'd say negative, it was like, it was negative 10 in the morning and then it got up to a high of like 10 that day uh, where even with my Merino, uh, my, my thick Merino socks, my Thor, my crispy Thors and those boot covers, I got a little chilly in the feet, but I would, I lasted a lot longer than if I was just in my rubber boots. So um, that's I'm strictly sitting on those right now. So, yeah. Uh, do you throw a little? Uh, do you throw a little toe warmer, hand warmer inside there? That day I did. That day I yeah. did. Um, but what yeah, I'm that helps. Yeah, but what I'm starting to realize is, and and maybe it's me, maybe it's not. If I am, if I give my 
sock boot combination a little bit more room to wiggle and I don't cram a really, really big sock into that, into my boots. And so it's just all compressed and I have, it's, it's a little more air in there, a little bit more room for movement. I feel like I'm staying warmer longer than if it's just all like a big sock stuffed in there. Oh yeah, definitely. I've, I've ran into that, uh, that trap too. You, you try to get the, your normal size or, you know, something that fits kind of snug, but really when it comes down to cold weather, if you got more air in there, it kind of helps insulate a little more and you can wiggle those toes, warm them up. But yeah, when it's all jam packed in there, you get cold quick. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, that, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory there. What you just said about, about the, the clothing and staying warm and, and, uh, kind of how you operate with your, with your clothing through hot weather or cold weather. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about let's, let's move to bow and accessories, uh, on, on the bow. Um, and I guess we'll start, start with a bow. And let me just ask you when, when you go and let's say you've made the decision, Hey, I want to, I want to go shoot a new bow. I want to try a new bow. I, I, I've had this bow for long enough. I want to see what else is out there. What, what are you looking for in a bow? Um, well, I, I, I take my archery pretty seriously. Um, I I like shooting year round. Um, I like archery just as much as hunting. I mean, I really do. Um, it's something I, I do tend to geek out about it. It's just something I enjoy. Um, you know, I'm not trying to be a a world-class archer or anything, but I do love tinkering. I do love shooting. I like trying to be the best archer I can be. And it has translated really well for me into hunting as far as like, um, being able to perform under pressure and, and make those difficult shots, uh, at crunch time. Um, so, you know, for me always, always is, um, just forgiveness and accuracy. Um, those are the top of the heap for me as far as what I prioritize. Um, I need a bow that is forgiving to my mistakes and, Explain because that. I have, yeah. So, so because I have shot so many bows and because I shoot literally year round, I mean, even this time of year, I'm shooting five days a week. Um, so because I do that, because I'm kind of so in tune with my form and the bow that I'm using, I kind of know what I'm capable of and I know what, I can do when I'm shooting great. And I kind of know what my groups do when I'm a little off. And there are certain bows, um, that for me personally, when I, my form isn't great or I make a a bad shot or I drop my bow arm, or maybe I'm a little slow on my execution or a little quick or whatever, it still hits really close to the middle. And that's kind of what I'm looking for. A more forgiving setup. It can be, something that is more like could be something that's a little longer axle to axle, more brace height. I think all those things go into play. A lot of it is just the the relationship of the grip to your hand and how much, how torquey it is. I think all those things come into play. And then also just your, your arrow setup. But there are certain bows where I can shoot. And when I'm shooting awesome, they'll shoot. And then when I'm a little off, they're more off than the bows I have the most confident in. And those are the kind of bows I try to weed out. I, I was really, really for a lot of years, um, 
just love, love kind of getting new bows. And I, I did a lot of like buying and selling of used bows. I was really into tuning and learning that whole process and, and trying to squeeze out accuracy in my, my bow and arrow setup. So I was trying all kinds of different cam systems and, and trying to learn all that. So I, I was really able to see like, man, some of these bows are absolutely more forgiving than the others. Um, and, and it may not be that way for every person, the same exact bow, just me in my form and the way, um, kind of the relationship, you know, of my form with, with the bow and how it performs. Um, so I kind of settled in on a few that I have really high confidence with. And the last few years I've, I haven't been doing that as much. Um, I have two setups now, um, that I'm really happy with. It's not that I'm not going to try out new stuff. I've just kind of, I was spending a lot of time doing that. Um, and I had a lot of fun doing that, getting, you know, all these different brands and I could, you know, I'd buy a used one off a guy and then I'd sell it on here. And it was just, it was just more for entertainment and fun and learning. Yeah. Um, but, but I've kind of kept coming back to, you know, the bows that I've been shooting the last couple of years. And I just, I just have a really high confidence in them. So now I'm more, uh, I do a little bit more with, I keep that same platform, but I'll do more tweaking with like different arrow setups for different types of hunting, whether it be, uh, you know, more of like a, like I have a bow that I kind of built that's more for like an out West, you know, spot and stock mule deer open country type bow where, um, it's more of a moderately weighted arrow. Um, it's extremely accurate at long distance. Um, and it gives me a little more forgiveness as far as like you know pin gap like if i if i range the animal and he's at 55 and i draw back and he walks out to 57 i'm not going to have an extreme amount of drop there where i'm going to fall right out of the vitals you know i'm going to still be in there yeah and then i have another bow that's set up completely different that's more for say elk or whitetail uh or even like ground hunting whitetail where a lot of my shots are going to be close a lot of my shots end up being with an animal kind of facing or quartering towards me. So it's a, a shorter axle to axle bow, a little faster. And then I, my arrow setup is, is much heavier and it's a fixed blade and it just, you know, it hits like a freaking sledgehammer. Yeah. So two, two bows for two different situations. And I know not everybody can do that. That's just what I do. Um, I'm not telling people to do that. It's just what I do. And I enjoy doing that. And then I'm actually, I'm getting another, um, another bow should be arriving here shortly. And I'm going to set that one up kind of way extreme on the other end, um, more geared towards elk, but uh, an even heavier setup and, you know, pulling higher poundage and, and just kind of tinker with that a little bit. But right now I haven't been doing a much changing with those setups. I've tested a lot of arrow configurations, um, a lot of broadheads, a lot of fletching configurations. And right now I'm, I'm pretty dialed in and happy with the way things are performing, but I'm always tweaking and testing a little bit. I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned, um, forgiveness and accuracy were two things that were very important to you when you go to pick out a bow. Um, what brands, uh, throughout the past have you found that have met those two criteria? Um, well, Right now, the two the two bows I have are both Matthews bows. I shoot a, a Matthews Traverse, and I have a Matthews Verdix. Um, those are two bows that I shoot really, really well. Um, I have a lot of confidence in them. I'm sure uh, some of the newer Matthews may have even improved a little, little bit, but right now I just really 
really happy with those. And honestly, I dread, I dread changing from them. I'm shooting them so well. I just have a lot of confidence and they're both dialed in. They're kind of both set up for, like I said, kind of like a specialty type hunt. So I do, I, I can go back and forth between those bows and not suffer as far as like trying to get used to it again, or they're very interchangeable right now. Yeah. Um, but I've used, I mean, I've shot, gosh, all kinds. I've shot Botex, I've shot Obsessions, Expedition, Hoyt. Um, they all have their strengths. But um, what I like about Matthews that just fits my style is, one, their forgiveness, um, their, their speed to smoothness ratio, meaning how hard that pull feels, the draw cycle, and the speed I'm getting out of it. I can get a faster bow that draws much harsher. And I can get a smoother bow where I don't have as much speed. So, you know, they're, they, those kind of are out there. But for me personally, this just kind of fits right kind of where I want it. Um, and they are the quietest that I've found. And that, has, that is a big deal for me. Right under forgiveness and accuracy to me is the quietness of the bow. And you can fudge that a little bit with suppressors and heavier arrows and whatnot but there some some bows are just inherently louder or quieter and matthews has just man they've just really nailed it the last few years um with really decreasing vibration and eliminating sound they are just really really quiet and i'm not getting nearly as many animals jumping the string as i used to um and it, it was i mean it was a thing like back in the day like i'd have you know, I remember shooting, a, I had a Hoyt carbon bow there for a while and I love that bow. I was super accurate with it, but that thing sounds like a freaking yeah. like a, a 22 rifle cracking <laughs> off compared to this, you know, and it, yeah. it animals, they react, to, yep. uh, they react differently to something cracking, uh, loud like that and sharp compared to like a dull thud. Yeah. It's not that they don't hear it, but a lot, a lot of times, um, I have some on video where I've shot and the deer, they hear it going off and they turn and look instead of violently react. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I've just, it seems to have all come together with me with, uh, the accuracy and the forgiveness. And now I've, I've got this quieter setup and it's, it just seems like if I can do my part and put that pin where it needs to be and execute a good shot, that's, that's where the arrow's hitting. Yeah. So one, one last question earlier, you mentioned, uh, axle to axle length. I feel like I'm a fan of the 30, right around the 30 inch. Are are you? Yep. Do you like higher than that? Um. So my 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 traverse is a 33 inch. Um. In that, probably, well, definitely fits me the best as far as my form. Yeah. Um. When I draw that back. I barely have to tip my nose forward at all to get it to the string. Now, I pro honestly, probably at my draw length, I'm, I'm pretty much right at 30 inches. I probably would be better suited with like a 34 or 35 inch. But, you know, it's important to me. I prioritize light, fast, low bulk. So I like bows that are not too bulky, not too big. I don't like a, a real big platform. So that is probably the, the best fitted bow for me uh, for sure as far as just the the geometry of it and fitting my body and my draw length with that said my vertex is 30 and that's kind of my like that's my ground and pound maneuverable bow i shoot it almost as good but if i took if i took those back to you know 80 100 yards shot them side by side and say i shot 100 arrows 
that traverse will outperform it, but not by much. Yeah. Um, the, but, but with the verdicts, I have to tip my head a little forward. It's just, you could just tell on a longer draw, it, it's not quite as good of a fit and going on the further end of the spectrum. Um, I had a triax once, which I loved the maneuverability of that. Um, but I could shoot it well. Um, but it seemed like out of 10 shots, I'd have a couple flyers in there and that's just, uh, it's just, I can't do that. It's it mentally, I can't even wrap my head around not being a not being a hundred percent confident that if I do my job uh behind you know with my shot execution and keep maintaining my form that that arrow is going to hit that spot and with that bow it didn't always happen and it's not because there's anything wrong with the bow it just didn't fit my size my draw length the string angle was a little bit much I had to really tip, dip my head into the string to get you know that peep uh, in sight alignment. So it just, it just didn't fit me, but I have some friends that are smaller stature where that's, that's the perfect bow. Um, but going back, like I've, I've, I've definitely shot some Botex really well. Some of the older ones, um, really well. Yeah. Uh, I had an obsession bow that I shot phenomenally well. Um, and that they're not a well-known company. Um, the Hoyts, you know, I pull pretty aggressively into the back wall. I'm, I'm kind of a back tension type type shooter. Um, uh, and up until this year, they had very, very spongy back wall. So it didn't work great. I was kind of sporadic with those. Um, I didn't get a whole, I, I wasn't super consistent with those. I could certainly put arrows into a, an animal's vitals, but not as pinpoint accurate as I feel like with some of these other ones. So are you, um, are you then a fan of the limb stop? Well, not necessarily. So the, the, I used to be, I used to love when I first started shooting like an elite or, um, I had those obsessions when that would, that cam would roll over and it hit that limb stop. And I had that really high let off and it just felt like it was locked in. I love, I love that feeling at first. I was like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I can hold this at full draw. This is going to be a huge advantage, um, hunting because I can stay at full draw for five minutes if I need to. And you know, there's, there's hunts like that where you, you know, you get, in a situation where you have to hold at full draw and that, that feature or that characteristic might be a godsend. But what I found was because those, those limb stops tend to be a little bit higher let off. Some of them are, are pretty adjustable now, but what I found is those higher let off, um, it relieves a lot of tension on the string and it, it your, your form becomes even more, it's, it's even more susceptible to form error when there's that much lax in the string. So a little facial pressure is going to have much more of an impact than say something that's like an 80 or an 85% let off rather than like a 90 or a little over 90. So, and then another thing too, with those limb stops with my style, when I would pull, I pull real aggressively into that back wall, those limb stops, they don't give. So what I was seeing on, especially on my elite, when I would look at the top, I'd get a little bit of almost limb twist, just a little. Uh, and I didn't like that. So what I've kind of circled back around to um, is I like a cable stop, but I like it to be firm. So I, I don't mind a little tiny give. Like Matthews is perfect to me. That feels perfect. Yeah. Um, just a little tiny give, but it's firm. You know, it's a solid back wall. And you start pulling and you feel just a tiny give and then the bow goes off. And that's kind of what I look for. So just, 
you know, there's going to be guys out there that love the limb stops and it's going to, it's going to fit their shooting style better. Um, but that's just me. That's just kind of yeah. what I look for. Yeah. I think over the past couple of years, I've kind of gravitated towards bows that have the limb stop. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just like to know where the end is at. You know what I mean? Like I, yep. I don't, when I, whenever I feel I feel like I lose, this is me personally, uh, with my form and how I shoot, I feel like I need something to tell me where there's a start, you know, a start and a stop. And when I draw back and I can feel that sponginess, I almost feel like I need to pull harder and further at knowing that I, I don't need to, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that. I'm, I'm sure there's guys that kind of feel that same way. Um, you gotta just go with what, Yep. You know, I think with anything with hunting, we, every, every person has different things that they prioritize or value. Um, and you know, what mine might be accuracy and forgiveness, um, might be top priority and yours might be like what you just said, that feel of knowing exactly where the end in that gives you the confidence. Um, if I think guys that have more of a static shot, not, I have a real dynamic pull. There's a lot of, there's a lot of building on my back, uh, my, my release arm, a lot of building pressure there, pulling aggressively into that back wall. If you have more of a static form shot where you're just kind of holding it there and then you're either, you know, squeezing the trigger slow or, or whatever, you know, then I think those limb stops are probably a, a great option. But if you're a really a hard puller into that back wall, like you're building pressure, say with a, like a heavy thumb button or something like that, then I don't know. I, I prefer a cable uh, stop yeah. in that, in that scenario. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you've walked us through, you know, what you like in a bow. What about some accessories like uh, a rest? Are you a, are you a whisker biscuit guy, Andy? (laughs) No, no, (laughs) no, I'm not. (laughs) I knew the answer. I knew the answer to that. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk, let's talk about uh, rests and sights. Okay. Yeah. First of all, I don't have any problem with a whisker biscuit. I I actually saw a guy uh, in our league once he shot a, a 300, uh, 60 X with a whisker biscuit. So they can definitely shoot. And there's something to be said for that full containment. I just don't like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's the, the thought of having something contacting my fletching before it leaves the arrow. I don't, I don't like that, but uh, there's, there's some killers out there that use them. So there's definitely no knock there, but I prefer a drop away. Um, on one of my bows, I have that Matthews QAD integrate rest, which is really cool. It's mounted like on a dovetail design that some of the newer Matthews have like a, a dovetail mount yeah. um, on the back of the riser and it's cool. It's more streamlined. So you're not getting as much bulk on the right side of the bow. Um, I've had great luck with QAD. Um, now I will say I did have one uh, malfunction on me for the first time last year and not on a hunt. It was at just in the backyard shooting. So I had, I had him on both bows and it was, it was not going down. So I emailed or I called the company and they're like, Oh yeah, send it in. So I sent it in and it was going to be, you know, several weeks before, you know, I got anything back. So I went and bought that, uh, the Hamsky, uh, limb driven. Cause I have a lot of friends that just swear by that thing too. It's built like a tank and, uh, really reliable. So I got that through that on my verdicts. And I've been really happy with that one too. Um, I've kind of shied away from the limb driven rest just because I don't necessarily love that cord going down to the bottom limb, but honestly, it's, it's not in the way at all. 
Um, and QAD sent me a brand new uh, integrate rest that I'm just actually I just it's downstairs in the in the basement just sitting there now and I have the the hamski so I can vouch for those two um, I'm I'm I don't it didn't shake my confidence at all with the QAD um, that one little incident because I have actually shot those for probably 15 years. And that's the first time I ever had an issue. So I I'm still, I still have the one on my traverse, never had an issue. And that ham ski has been awesome too. So, um, if you got, if you guys are looking for two that are kind of tried and true, those are, those are two good options, but there's, there's some other good ones out there. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a ripcord guy. I've, I think yeah, I've, go. I think I've had the same ripcord for, well, actually I take that back. Was it last year or the year before I finally got a new a new rest? But before that, I think I used the same rest for man, I want to say eleven years. It, or maybe seven seven to eleven years, somewhere in that time frame. And I used the same rest and it not never once gave me any problems. It so that's like what you were saying earlier about you know, when a product give you gives you confidence. I had a confidence in that rest and uh man, I just I moved it from bow to bow. Yep. There you go, man. Yeah. You got to find something you, you're confident in that, that proves itself. And then, I mean, it's okay to tinker, but some things like that, I don't tend to change my rests or my sights too much. Those, those seem to be the ones that are kind of, they stay with me. Um, you know, I don't know. I, yeah. I get confidence in those. They, they perform well. And th- that's not, those are two accessories. I don't tinker with too much. Now, as far as sights, um, I have, I have two, um, I have the HHA, uh, single pin adjustable yep. for my, that's kind of like my, like I said, my out West long range. Um, when I say long range, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm shooting animals at long range. It's, it's, it's something that I practice with long range. I feel more confident with it out to longer ranges. Um, and I definitely practice with it at long range, but I really like that single pin the sight picture to me is, is, is a little more calm when I just have that one pin to focus on and I can see both sides of the animal left and right. And it's just that one vertical up pin. And I like having to being able to dial into the exact yardage. And when I'm out West, you know, all the, the, the mule deer I've shot, I've had time to, you know, range adjust to that yardage draw and shoot. It's more of a, you know, a, it has been thus far more of a spot and stalk type scenario. And I just feel confident, more confident in that type of setup. Now with my ground hunting setup or elk, I'm using a three pin slider because, um, you know, I expect much closer shots. And a lot of times, um, because you're on the ground, you might, you, you might get a range at say 35 and then that animal starts walking to you and gets to 27. And, you know, I like, I like having those three pins where I could just kind of gap and, and estimate. Um, but I do like the ability of having that bottom pin as my mover. If, if, if one does step out a little bit longer, I can adjust it down to that exact yardage. But I've had like, uh, the, the Ohio buck that I shot a couple years back, I shot him on the ground and I ranged him and he was like, I don't know, 37 or something. And I drew back and right when I drew back, he turned and faced me and started walking right at me. And he got to like 20, I don't know, it ended up being like 26, but I had to estimate, but because I had those, those pins, I could do that. Now, if yeah. I had had my, my single pin, 
I could have done that, but I would have had to hold off of the spot, yeah. which I can do because I practice it. I, I do know at least at those ranges, you know, 40 and under, where do I need to put the single pin to make it hit if my, you know, if my yardage isn't dialed in perfect, but with three pins, it's just easier. You know, it's like, okay, he's probably at 26. Okay. Here's my 20 and 30 and I can gap shoot right there. So for, for ground hunting elk, I'm going with that three pin slider. I, I have a, a Montana black gold that I really, really like it's super light, bright, strong pins. Um, and then my single pin adjustable is just an HHA. Again, it's, a uh, just a bright pin, um, good, good, thick, strong pins and never had an issue with either of them. And those are my favorite two companies that I've, that I've tried. I've tried some other ones. Um, and they're, you know, spot hog and they're great. Um, but I keep, I've always gravitated back towards these two. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that I've kind of noticed, um, in the act in, in my accuracy, I, be, I don't know about you, but I beat the shit out of my equipment. Like, you know, uh -huh. walking through, whether I'm strapping the bow to my backpack, climbing up and down mountains or, or you know, in South Dakota, I'm, I'm taking it off every time I decide I want a, a glass somewhere. So I got to take my bow off, set it down on the ground, pick it back up, strap it to my back. And I'm doing that 10 times a day. And um, what I called you, was it last year, right? Uh, and I was like, Andy, I'm having some major problems with my accuracy and yeah. and you were trying to work through all these um uh, all these uh, problems with me it was a loose bolt and i would i would i was i wasn't even paying attention to it it was almost like a third access on on the site that i had so um the site you could adjust it right left up down mm -hmm. right but there was also a third access point in there that i don't even know, know if i knew about and that was getting that was getting loose. So mm -hmm. one thing I found is that price really does reflect quality when it comes to a site. Uh, the, the site that I had on there was kind of, uh, Oh, I don't want to say it was, uh, I'm not going to say the brand because I'll, I'll honestly, I'll, I'll probably never go back to it, but, uh, it was one of those sites that was just like, you could tell that the construction of it wasn't as good as something like a kingpin or I, I shoot the king, the HHA kingpin single pin and yep. that thing's built like a tank. And I love that. I love that fact because I can drag it through the mud and it's going to stay. Right. Right. So, yep. um, anyway, that's, uh, for, that's just my experience. I've, I've really found that price does reflect quality when it comes to, when it comes to sites. So, yeah, well that you, you know, someone I, that has been really influential in me as far as like, uh, taking my archery to the next level and my, my bow tuning and, and just overall interest in archery is, uh, is John Dudley. I started listening to his stuff when he first started and, um, I just loved it. And he, he says, you know, he would, if, a, if it was a, a beginning archer, he would recommend buying a cheap bow and spending more on your rest and your, in your bow site. Yeah. If you, you know, if you're going to spend your money, if you only had a limited budget, spend your money on getting a quality accessory. So it, it definitely, definitely is important. I mean, there's some out there that are like literally have plastic components and that's not, yeah. that's not something you want to rely on out in the woods. <laughs> right. Especially for, for 
our conditions, right? It can go from cold to hot. And, and as we all know, plastic, just like any real material, expands and contracts and spans and contracts. And um, you know, I, th- I just also think that the lifespan of something made of plastic is much lower than something that's not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. Um, I'm trying to think. We're we're coming up here uh, towards the end. Let me ask you this question: Where do guys or gals or you know people who are are purchasing hunting equipment, in, in your opinion, where do you think a lot of people make mistakes? Um, I would probably say. Honestly, I, I think, I think being aware of gear and quality gear, um, is, is good. And I think you, you know, if you have the money to, to get that stuff, um, it can certainly help you, you know, quality, quality clothing can and certainly make you more comfortable and, and help you stay more in the woods, uh, quality components on your bow could certainly help with accuracy. Um, certain bows can definitely help with, with, uh, you know, more forgiveness and, and all that stuff. But I think the, the biggest mistake I see, like I said in the beginning, I think guys get too hung up on gear Yeah. and they, they almost get fanatical about it and they lose sight of what, you know, everybody wants to be, become a, a more effective hunter no matter what your goal is. I mean, everybody wants to be able to be more successful in the woods. And I think a good, a good hunter with good sound skills can be successful in the woods wearing Walmart pants and and camo with uh, a recurve bow um, and a a cheap lock on tree stand with some screw in pegs. Um, And I, I really do believe that. Um, but there, you know, there are certain things out there that obviously for, for me personally, trying to be mobile, lighter, faster, quieter, something I'm more confident in. There are products out there that can help you become a little better at at certain things. Like for instance, like, um, you know, that I use a saddle a lot of the time. I'm not a hundred percent saddle guy, but, um, it fits my style. Um, there are still times where I take the light hang on. Um, a certain tree might call for it or a certain situation. Um, but I would say eight times out of 10, maybe nine times out of 10, I'm taking the saddle because it's just, it fits my style more. Yeah. I, I bounce around. And like I said, I like low bulk, light, fast. And I just like that. And, um, you know, I, I run a really light set of sticks. I'm really picky on that. So, you know, this stuff is pricey. It's expensive. Um, so, a lot of guys can I'd rather spend that money on another tag than on more expensive gear so just keep that in mind I mean if you have the money to do it or you can save up uh, to get you know a, a, a $300 set of sticks or a new saddle setup or a new a new lone wolf stand and sticks or whatever that's great but I will 100 times out of 100 I'd rather spend that money on uh, a Kansas tag or a Nebraska tag or something like that. So yeah. just keep that in mind. I think guys can get a little carried away with the uh, obsession over gear. And it's like all they talk about and all they text about and really not even focusing on how they might improve as a hunter. If, if that's their goal. Yeah. 
Well, a lot of good uh, information in this conversation today, Andy, man. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, uh, share some knowledge with us. Hey, no problem, man. It's, uh, it's always good to talk to you. It's fun talking about gear. So anytime. Huge shout out to Andy. Really appreciate him taking time out of his day to break down all that gear information for us. If you guys want to subscribe to the uh, Hunting Gear Podcast, you can do that on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Uh, you know your podcast. I don't have any social uh, sites up specifically for the Hunting Gear podcast, but there's a, a really great community of guys and gals on uh, the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook and Instagram feeds, so be sure to check those out. Other than that, uh, I think we've covered it today. Have a good one. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>